It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Hey, everybody. It's Wednesday night. It's 8 p.m. You know what time it is. It's time for the NGSC West Recess. Your main man, Raider Rome, is in the house, ready to kick it to you live like we always do. And you know me. I never fight the bias alone. I can never talk about sports alone. And here with me at the helm is my good buddy and esteemed co-host, Josh, say hello to America, big man, Josh. Hey, Jerome, how you doing tonight? Oh, I'm feeling great. We just up here watching us some good basketball right here. I see yeah. North Carolina and Duke, they're in the middle of a good one right now. Though. Yeah, uh, North Carolina is killing on Duke in the paint right now, 79-72. And I'm also keeping an eye on this Oklahoma State-Iowa State game. Iowa State just took the lead 66-65. So. Yeah, that's going to be a big game. I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, hey, and the other game that's kind of important for this show, it would be the Arizona State-UCLA game. It looks like UCLA might be in trouble, though. Yeah, I mean, the Brewers and my boys, they seem to always have this problem. They get themselves right back into the um, tournament talk. Then you turn around and you have a performance like this. I don't know what Steve Alford is thinking, but, I mean, he's got to get this team consistently ready to play every week. You got the talent with guys like Tony Parker, Kevin Looney, and Bryce Alford. I mean, they just can't yeah. just can't keep it together. Yeah, the thing is, is uh, this game put this match. If they lose tonight, sixteen eleven, and their CBS already got them at the twelve seed, so this would be a bad loss for them. Hey, but the, you know what gets me though, Josh? UCLA is one of those teams where they can sit there and lose a game like this to Arizona State, and it wouldn't shock me if they turn around and knock off Arizona to get themselves right back on the bubble. I mean, they're just a very yeah. inconsistent lot. Just... Yeah, UCLA also, you know, came up big last year in the, in the tournament, so and got themselves in the in the tournament, <laughs> in the pac yeah, yeah. tournament, I should say. Yeah, the good thing about that is they actually had themselves a decent weekend last week, picking up a couple of wins against those Oregon schools. So, yeah, I mean, if UCLA can continue to beat the teams that they need to beat, I think they'll be just fine. Yep. And looking here, I see your Patriots had a little bit more news today, too. They got this character here named Jim McNally, and it says here, according to ESPN, he tried to introduce unapproved kicking game, uh, unapproved kicking game football into the AFC championship game. Man, yeah. this situation with the Patriots and this deflate gate, man, I tell you, it just gets weirder and weirder, don't it? Well, the thing of that is, Jerome, is I read the part of the story that people are missing is that um, – uh, NFL official gave him the ball to give, and, and that official got fired today for stealing football to sell uh, on, I guess, online or whatever he was doing. And uh, he gave him the ball from what um, ESPN's reporting to give to them to turn to the – the whole situation is confusing. <laughs> what, oh, what yeah. Is, uh, yeah. So I don't know what to say about it because if, you know, 
the NFL guy gave them the ball to turn in. It's a confusing situation. Huh? I yeah, think we I just mean, need to wait and see. Well, as a Patriot fan, I mean, I don't blame you for being confused. I mean, you know me. I can't stand the New England Patriots at all myself, but I'm not even yeah, really sure yeah. what to make of this. This is just one. Of, this is a very confusing situation. Did they cheat? Did they not cheat? Who's playing yeah. with the deflated balls? Who's not? I mean, this team shouldn't even, but, I mean, you you got the ring. Have you had to wear the crowd? So the Patriots will be a rather interesting story to follow going forward, at least until free agency begins and things of that yeah. nature, you know. Well, New England is always, always in the news for, you know, either winning or bending the rules or making Rex Ryan mad. So <laughs> you, you always hear about them. <laughs> Yeah, Rex Ryan is one crazy cat, man. I tell you. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if out there in Buffalo, he's already thinking about finding ways to defeat New England when they're not even important yeah. to him at this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard today he was asking in an interview uh, what he thought about watching the Patriots win the Super Bowl, and he goes, "Oh, well, they asked him how he felt, and he goes, I, I felt terrible.' <laughs> That's what he said in his interview today. So it's pretty funny. Yeah, he, he should try to be more like. Todd Bowles, I say. Bowles, I mean, he's one of those laid-back dudes. He just says, you know, you can't beat the New England Patriots in February, so why even worry about them, you know? It's just combine yeah. time. You're scouting college kids. Why even think about the New England Patriots at this time? I mean, that's kind no, of how right. I have about it myself. Yeah. Oh, and I'd like, like to say hello there to Nelly. Welcome to the network, Nelly. I'm, I hope you enjoyed the program that we put out for you tonight. And we got ourselves a couple of other guests here. So we're going to put on a good show for you uh, tonight. We have Josh with his NASCAR report coming up, and we also okay. have ourselves a college basketball guest, one of the smartest college basketball men I know, one Greg Peterson. He's going to help you with your brackets, tell you who to look out for in March, and let you know, can Kentucky be touched? And if they can, who will touch them? And we got ourselves a college a basketball update here, 123 remaining. Number 15, ranked North Carolina, still holds a 79-74 lead on Duke. And with yeah, that. Oh, and Iowa State beat Oklahoma State, by the way, 70-65, just pulled it out. So. Uh, the folks come up short at home. But I tell yeah. you what, that team is still going to be at a tournament team. Guys like LeBron Nash and Phil Forte, I mean, they're still two of my favorite Big 12 players. They, they make things easy. And I still see Oklahoma State drawing about a 6-7 to seven seed. Somewhere in there, they're they're dancing. But this was a lot of win that they probably would have wanted to get a seed line or two higher. Yeah, I agree. But anyways, uh, I mean, for they've had some up and down. Losing losing a TCU last week was kind of a rough rough loss for Oklahoma State. But overall, they they've been pretty hot. So I'm not too worried about them. Yeah, they'll they'll be fine. I mean, they're in a lot better shape than UCLA is right now. I'll give yeah, yeah. yeah, so I see here that the NASCAR season is beginning um, on Sunday with the Daytona 500, Josh. We got ourselves some good, colorful races. Josh, I mean, Jeff Gordon here entering his final season. I mean, I'm sure he wants to do well. And you got other guys such as Kevin Harvick, who is the defending champion, if I recall correctly. That's right. And you got, you got Jimmy Johnson, who – he wins championships at a New England Patriot type clip. God. Yeah, God. and he's hated for it too, by the way. 
God, I felt dirty saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, so, so give me give me some NASCAR in, info there, Josh. What should I look for uh, in this race on Sunday? You know, I, I, I'm, well, I'm, first, kind of, I'm kind of new to the NASCAR game, so you yeah. know, it, educate me. It's, Okay, well, first and foremost, uh, Jeff Gordon won the poll, so he's starting out front at the Daytona 500, and Jimmy Johnson is sitting second. We'll be starting second right beside him, both teammates at Hendrick. Um, as far as that goes, they're locked in at their spots, starting 1-2 in the Daytona 500, but the Daytona 500 is a little bit different because they have dual races that get you into the, into the race, but they're locked in, so they can't lose their spots, and... Uh, Earnhardt Jr. Was, is going to be starting the back of the first dual race because he failed inspection for his car being too low. And Denny Hamlin's going to be starting the back for the same thing. He also, car was too low. And he also crashed today in practice with Danica Patrick. So that's another rough start for Denny Hamlin. As far as the dual races, tomorrow night at 6, there's going to be dual race 1. And the most important thing about the dual races is they're going to be are the drivers who aren't already in the race and have to race their way in, such as Michael Annette, Justin Marks, and Ron Hornaday in the first race, and that will be at 6 Central when it's supposed to start off. And then after that race ends, sometime around 7.30 Central, they'll have the second race, and the important drivers to watch in that race will be Ryan Blaney and Reed Sorensen and Dave Gregan. Ryan Blaney's pretty much locked in based off his qualifying time, but he does need to have a strong finish. As far as Rookies in the Daytona 500 to watch out for. There's only one rookie going into the season. That would be Jeb, Jeb Burton. And he is the son of former Daytona 500 winner, Ward Burton. And he'll be driving in the 26 car for BK Race. And in his crew chief is going to be Patrick Donahue. As far as the favorites for the race on Sunday, Dale Earnhardt Jr., he has two wins. Timmy Johnson has one Daytona 500 win. Jeff Gordon with three and Matt Kenseth won in 2009. They're the favorites of the race. If you're looking for a sleeper of the race, David Reagan, he drives for Front Row Motorsport, small team, but he has some good runs at Daytona and uh, Talladega, which are uh, restricted plate races. As far as my prediction for the winner of the race, I'm going with Matt Kenseth as the winner of the Daytona 500. Do you have a prediction for the race, Jerome? Well, I would like to see Jeff Gordon do well myself. This is his last year going, and he's a West Coast kind of guy. And keeping with the West Coast team, yeah, I'm going to have to go with the 24 car there and hope that he performs well and gets the job done. Ah, UCLA comes up short against Arizona State tonight, (laughs) 68 to 66. Last second three-pointer. Last second three-pointer by Isaac Hamilton comes up just short. But, yeah, keeping with the NASCAR team, I would like to see 24 perform well. And this being his final Daytona 500, he can go out there, kick him some butt, and get himself off to an early lead, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, Jeff Gorin, my NASCAR has a funny way of things happening where the driver who everyone expects to win does win. It's kind of like a conspiracy almost. But Jeff Gorin's been one of the best drivers at Daytona for years now. So if he wins this race, it won't be any surprise. And Jimmy Johnson, another California guy, and – Casey Kane and Dale Earnhardt Jr., that whole Hendrick Motorsport team could win. Any, All four of them could win this race this week. So, so I hear Hendrick, Hendrick is probably the team to beat this season. Uh, was I not misinformed? Oh, oh yeah. Hendrick is always one of the favorites, but you, you have to look out for Kevin Harvick and the Gibbs racing team, such as uh, Kyle Busch, 
Um, Carl Edwards joined uh, Gibbs this year too, and so you know they have a bunch of talented drivers in that stable too. So, but I would definitely lean towards Hendrick Carr this year as far as championship contenders. Yeah, well, the good thing is, I mean, Joe Gibbs. I mean, he was a great coach in his own right in Washington. So you knew he was going to put together a NASCAR team that would be able to compete. And didn't you have Tony Stewart racing racing with him not too long ago? Yeah, Tony Stewart was on uh, was uh, in the twenty car, a Home Depot car. But that he has since uh, Stewart now owns his own team, which has Harvick, um, Danica Patrick, and Kurt Busch as the other three cars, including Tony Stewart's car. So should be um, should go ahead. Should be a great race Sunday. So about tell the people what time and what network they can find this great American race on. Okay, I, it's on Fox, and I would have to give me a second to look at the time at the start, the start of the Daytona 500. But, you can, yeah, give me one second to look that up. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's all right. Oh. You, got, you got to love this guy, Josh. I mean, he, he is the epitome of what a co-host should be. He doesn't have the information yeah. for you right away. He says he'll go yeah. get it for you. The, he's I'm not going to tell you some, <laughs> He ain't just going to tell you some nonsense. And make you be like, oh, these guys are liars. You know, you gotta like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I'll get, I'll get it for you. We can just move on. I'll, I'll have it before the show's up here. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get that back to you later, um, Radio Land. And this is where, you know, this is my second show as the lead host of the of the West Recess. You know, so I'm still learning too. You know, and part yeah, of yeah. having a good show is having um great having great fans also. So we're gonna open it up now for another for a new segment that I like to call you ask ask Raider Rome, ask the sports butler, ask Josh. Those of you in the chat room, now is your time to ask a question about anything that you'd like to know for the next five minutes. The floor is yours. No 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 sports question is unturned. By by all means, fire away. Football, basketball, whatever. I know you got okay. some things on your mind there, Coach Nelly. Lay it on me. Real quick, NAS, uh, Daytona 500 is scheduled to start at 12 Central Time or 1 p.m. Eastern, it looks like, so on Fox. So, so we got ourselves a 10 a.m. start there, huh? What is this? Hold on, sorry. <laughs> Let uh, me, what's, uh, what's that you got yeah. there? Uh-oh. And Duke has caught North Carolina. At 81. Wow, and, that's crazy. <laughs> and our first question comes from Coach Nelly in Minnesota. Are the Cavaliers a threat okay. to win the Eastern Conference? Well, I'd have to say that Cleveland, they're about as big a threat, a threat as anybody. When you got number 23 playing offense for you and he's your best player, I mean, you're going to have about a 65% chance of winning every basketball game that you step on the court winning. Then you got Kevin Love actually finally starting to round into shape. You know, he had a slow start also. Him and LeBron had a bit of a dust-up about the future. But he's actually starting to figure out things. And you got Kyrie Irving. I mean, as a point guard, he's just a monster. So if Cleveland can get that, that defense together and continue to learn from David Blatt, who's actually starting to, I think, get more comfortable in his role also as the head coach of the team, Cleveland's got as good a chance as anybody. But that's not to say that they can't be defeated. You know, you got to um, – Contenders in the East, such as Atlanta, who's playing the best ball of anybody this side of Golden State, 
Then you got also the Chicago Bulls, who's, who's always a tough opponent. So Cleveland, in my opinion, they should be the favorite to win the East, but it won't be it won't be easy. You got anything you want to add to that, Josh? Well, I mean, uh, the Cavs have been pretty hot lately. I, what are they on? Like a uh, let's see, I think they're on like a three game win streak. No, what are they? Uh, oh, well, they lost. No, they were on right, an eleven game win streak. But then they called yeah. a beat down from Chicago a few weeks ago. I mean, Thursday yeah, night, so, But generally speaking, they've been pretty hot. So, I mean, with any team that has LeBron James is definitely a contender, in my opinion. I mean, Atlanta, Toronto, and Chicago have all, all pr- playing pretty good in these. So, but to me, Cleveland's still, at the, right now at the five, he's still probably the favorite, in my opinion. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I believe in Atlanta necessarily. So, it's tough to, tough to say Cleveland isn't, the number one seed, in, in my opinion. I mean, they're not the number one seed overall, but they're definitely the number one team in the East, in my opinion. Well, I forgot all I forgot all about teams such as Toronto and Washington also. I mean, Toronto, yeah, yeah. They're, they're a threat with guys like Kyle Lowry, um, DeMar DeRozan, and Jonas Valanciunas at, at, with, at the forward position. That guy, he's a rebounding monster also. So he makes things a lot tough if you if you're going into the paint against Toronto. Then you got Washington. When their backcourt is healthy, man, they are one hell of a basketball team. Bradley Beal, John Wall. Then you got Washington yeah. Gortat. I mean, these these are teams that could also, you know, make the Eastern Conference a pretty fun, you know, playoff to watch. But whoever wins those, whoever wins the Eastern season, I think may run into a little bit of a dead end when you face the West. You got teams like. Yeah. You got teams like the Thunder, who if they get in, they can still be a tough team. Durant and Westbrook, mm-hmm. they're they're a, they're a problem for anyone, you know. In Golden yeah. State, they're playing just basketball out of this world. You got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson; those guys, they're just turning into superstar status now. And I wouldn't even rule out teams such as the Spurs and the Clippers and Houston out, out of the West. You know, Houston. I mean, they get Dwight Howard back along with James Harden. They become a very tough kind of basketball team to deal with. You know, their offense is just amazing. Then you got the Clippers. They're holding down the fort a little bit without the uh, without the services of Blake Griffin. You know, they got themselves a big game tomorrow night with the Spurs. Yeah, so how, how are you feeling about you, the Thunder over there, Judge? Well, I mean, as far as the Thunder go, I, I mean, I'm not happy with Scott Brooks as a coach. I don't think he makes the right moves for Oklahoma City, but they're in it, and they definitely had a lot of ups and downs, especially with injuries at the beginning of the year with Westbrook and Durant being out at the same time at one point during the year. And the other issue in Oklahoma City that's not necessarily getting the attention that it needs is Reggie Jackson. He he is upsetting a lot of people in, in Oklahoma City, especially players on the team, according to rumors in the area. And today he went – well, he didn't say specifically that he told his agent to say he wanted to be traded, but – they don't generally just – that doesn't come out of nowhere without some talk, you know, and, and that I think Reggie Jackson is looking to get out of Oklahoma City by the end of this next 12 hours or so. So that will be interesting to see. But uh, I heard some rumors about the Celtics possibly being interested in Reggie Jackson, but I don't know what – he thinks he's a starter, and I don't think he's a starter, so it's tough to, tough to say. All right, we'll take one more question here, then we'll be on here with our – with my college guy, Greg Peterson, like I said, one of the smartest college guys I know. 
Speaking of which, North Carolina and Duke are now in OT, tied up at 81. Remarkable comeback with Duke. Guess five that is to know. Crazy. <laughs> He's been hearing rumors that Amari Cooper may not be the first wide receiver taken in the draft. That could possibly go between seven and 12. And what's my thoughts on that? If Amari Cooper, I mean, it's a rather interesting situation. To me, he seems like the best receiver on the board, and I'd love for my Oakland Raiders to pick him up at four. But if the Raiders do pass on him, you know, he could he could drop a little bit. Although there are Minnesota could be looking to add another wide receiver to their stable also, should he drop. And then you got teams like the St. Louis Rams who could also use a wide receiver. Although I don't see him myself personally, I don't see him getting dropping any further than ten to the Rams. So if the Raiders do pass on that guy, it better be for a good reason, such as a guy like Leonard Williams falling the four, or you decided that Kevin White was a better wide receiver. So Amari Cooper, you'll be drafted very early, preferably at four to Oakland, but you won't drop any lower than ten. You got anything for that, Josh? I don't. I don't think he makes it past Oakland, but I mean, if he, I don't even know if the Rams are because I heard today Sam Bradford's looking to get traded out of St. Louis now, which is an interesting development. I so I don't even know if they're going to be looking for receivers by the end of this off season. So tough to say. I don't think Cooper makes it past the Raiders, to be honest. <laughs> Well, if we're smart, we'll take the guy. He's the best pure receiver out there. Yeah. He played in the pro system in Alabama. So, I mean, that's where I'd, that's where I'd go with it. There's and, some other receivers out there like Levante David and, you know, uh, that kid from uh, White from West Virginia that are really big, fast guys too. So, Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, we've got some big-time guys there. Speaking of hoops, I'd like, I'd like to welcome to the, to the MGSC West Recess my main man. Greg Peterson, welcome to the show, G-Unit 81. Great to be on. Thank you very much for having me tonight. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you for thank you for coming, man. You enjoying this here game tonight we got with Duke and Carolina? This has been absolutely awesome. It looked like Duke was going to run away with it early, and then North Carolina looked like they had control with it, leading by 10 points with four minutes to go. Now we're in overtime. This is what Duke versus North Carolina is all about. You couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, these guys, they always get it on. It's kind of like how you say over here on the West Coast, the blood versus the Crips. When they get it on, it's always interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, this guy, Jaleel Okafor, I mean, he's a monster. I think he's probably one of the best players in the nation, and he might be one of the top two players gone in the draft. What's your thoughts on that? I really like Jaleel Okafor. He's not having the best game tonight, actually. He's only having eight points, but his impact is being felt because he can just board up. He's had 12 rebounds so far in the game, three assists, two steals, and a block. So he's able to do it on all facets of the game. His defense needs a little bit of work right now, and he's going to be undoubtedly the number one pick in the draft. I right now think he's the second-best player in college basketball this year. I like Frank Kaminsky a little bit more because he takes a little bit better care of the ball. He's able to shoot the three at over 40%, which for a seven-footer is absolutely remarkable. And then you take a look at and his contributions on the defensive end. That makes him my player of the year. But regardless, Jaleel Okafor is a really good player, and and he makes a big impact on Duke. Speaking, speaking of um, his impact, as of right now, I know you had a bracket that came out a couple weeks ago already. you still have Duke um, in the running for the one seed, say they do win the ACC? Oh, certainly. I currently have Duke as my last number one seed, 
Wisconsin is very close on their heels. I will give them that. Arizona is in the mix. Villanova's in the mix. Kansas is somewhat in there because they have the number one RPI, but having five losses is really hurting them right now. But when you take a look at Duke, they have to be that last number one seed over Wisconsin because Wisconsin had that bad loss to Rutgers, and that's really hurting them. And Duke beat them in the head-to-head as well. You take a look at Duke, the wins that they have are absolutely remarkable. They went on a neutral court against Michigan State, Temple, and Stanford. They win against Connecticut on a neutral court as well. And then their road wins. They win on the road against Wisconsin. They win on the road against Louisville. And then they also win on the road against Virginia where nobody wins. So you take a look at Duke. They're the most road-tested team in the nation. They're eighth in the nation in terms of scoring, and they also have a really good defense to go with it, although must say they're not really showing it tonight in this game. But regardless, they're a really good team. They've been battle-tested all year long. And keep in mind, they beat Notre Dame last week by 30 points and the game wasn't even that close. Well, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, Duke is, man, they're, they're one tough basketball team. And so we got ourselves an Oklahoma State fan here with, with my co-host, Josh, and I'm sure he'd like to know how you feeling about his cowpokes, although they had a tough loss tonight against Iowa State. How you feel about guys such as LeBron Nash and Phil Forte? I really like this team because – they're able to just hang around in there. They really don't have the best low post game. I like Michael Cobbins as a defensive player, but he's obviously not going to light the world on fire on offense. But this is a team that's currently 7-7 seven and seven in a Big 12 that's just absolutely loaded. When you take a look at the Big 12, to go 7-7 seven and seven in this conference is nothing short of a miracle for this team because you take a look at the top teams, Kansas, Iowa State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Baylor, Texas, the list just goes on and on. It's absolutely mind-boggling how they put so many teams in there. The one thing I will say with this team, though, but Brian Nash has got to stop shooting threes. He's currently shooting 11.1% <laughs> from three so far this year. Let me put it to you this way. I think I could probably shoot 11.1% from three. That is not good, but Phil Forte is a really nice player. He's much better from DP shooting right around 41%. Anthony Hickey Jr. is also a bit of an underrated player. He makes some big contributions for this team. He's right around nine and a half points, three and a half rebounds, three and a half assists. So he does a little bit of everything for this team. And he's really a nice point guard that this team can rely upon because their offense has some really nice flow and Hickey Jr. is a big reason for that. Okay. So I got a question for you. Uh, what do you, let's go to the West Coast up in Washington state and let's start talking about Gonzaga. What do you, where, where do you have them right now? Gonzaga is right now the number two overall team in my – or the number three overall team in my bracket behind Virginia and also Kentucky, obviously. But this is a Gonzaga team that, if the season ended today, I'd really like them as an Elite Eight team. Not quite sold on them as a Final Four team. They have had their struggles. They nearly lost in a very bizarre game against Pepperdine. I don't know if you remember that, but they were caught yeah. in traffic for like three hours or something like that, and then – they couldn't hit a free throw to save their life, but they were able to survive and advance in that one. But their only loss came in overtime against Arizona. That was a very memorable game. And this is a Gonzaga team that has something that they haven't had in past years, and that's Kyle Wilcher. He stands right around six foot ten, and he buries threes like none other. Kentucky made a big mistake by not giving him playing time, and he's showing it right now. And then you also have that senior presence in Kevin Pango. Pango shoots right around 46% from three as well. As a team, they shoot right around 40%. And when you put Pango's and Wiltshire out there on the floor at the same time, 
that's a 29-point-per-game duo that can go up against anyone in the NCAA, honestly. That that combination is so lethal and will serve them so well in the NCAA tournament, but I'm questioning a little bit about their low-post play because they have the depth in there. I really like Sabonis down low, but he's just a freshman, and you don't know how he's going to respond to being out there for a long period of time, and he's only playing 22 minutes a game. So if they can get a little bit more consistency from their low-post players, Wilter and Pengos can definitely carry this team and get them far into the tournament in March. Yeah, well, they're doing that. Like, go ahead. Yeah, they still have Karnowski also, don't they? Yeah. Um, yes, they do. They've got Karnowski in there. And another player that I really want you guys to look out for is Eric McClellan. He's actually a transfer from Vanderbilt. He hasn't seen much playing time yet, but at Vanderbilt last year, he was averaging right around 14.5 points per game. He just became eligible seven games ago. If this, if Gonzaga is able to really incorporate him a little bit more into the team, he can make some big contributions towards the end of the, end of the year as well. Well, I'm really, I'm really feeling interested, uh, interested in seeing how that's going to go. You know, Gonzaga, they had the one seed in 2013, and they didn't seem to handle that very well. They're only being beaten by Southern, then falling short to Wichita State. I think it's a better team. It's a more experienced team this time around. Depending on the draw that they get in the tournament, I think I'd see them in the Final Four. How about you, Josh? Gonzaga, for me, I mean, they're shooting, what, 52.7% right now? Just only one other team shot even close anywhere in the last 20 years. And 91-92 Duke team with Grant Hill, Leitner, and Bobby Hurley is the only other team that shot this, you know, for this percentage at, this late into the season. So, to me, if they can shoot lights out like they're shooting right now, they're, they're going to be tough to beat. Well, I mean, when you deal with teams like Kentucky and Virginia, I mean, your only chance to stay with them is shooting the ball lights out. Because, I mean, you got Kentucky, yeah. they've got that big front line with Collie Stein and Dakari Johnson and Carl Anthony Towns blocking shots everywhere. So your perimeter game is going to be on that to be able to take down a team like that. I mean, Tennessee yeah. put up their best fight um, last night. It's just too tough, you know. It, and Now, here, here's my next question, Josh. I mean, I mean <clears throat> Greg, sorry. Kentucky's head and shoulders above everyone else. Do you think they can be defeated, though, in tournament play? And if someone does defeat them, who do you think it can be? I certainly think that they could be undefeated going into tournament play. Uh, actually, that's what I have for them right now because when you go up against a line like this, they have more size than most teams in the NBA. That is really saying something, and that's just a tough match for any team because what you need as a team to be able to beat Kentucky is some really good size, the ability to shoot 10 plus threes in a game, and the ability to make Kentucky take a lot of a lot of stupid shots as well from threes. So you have to get all three of those sets of the game working, and I don't see it happening. But if there is one team that could do it, it has to be Arkansas. Arkansas is their toughest game left on the schedule. They're going to be playing on February 28th. Arkansas is coming off a 15-point win against Missouri, and they also squeaked one by at Ole Miss. But they've got a pair of players that can really match up with them. Michael Qualls is a really nice player. He's like a six foot seven guard. You may remember him from some of his signature dunks. Actually, he had the walk-off dunk last year when Arkansas was able to knock off Kentucky at home. So that was really huge for this team. But Bobby Portis is a guy that can really that can really neutralize some of Kentucky's size. He's a six eleven, two hundred and forty pound sophomore, and he just is able to have a knack for the ball. In his last five games, he scored 19, 18, 22, 12, and 16 points. And in those games, he's averaging right around eight rebounds a game. So 
he definitely has the chance to be able to break open a game. He's efficient as well, shooting 50, 56% from the field. And while he doesn't take too many threes, he can actually bury them if they need him to. He's shot 47.5% from three. For a 6'11 guy who focuses mainly on rebounding and low post moves, that's nothing short of incredible. He takes 13 shots a game, and he still has that 56% average. So if he's able to get hot, he's able to have one of those 30 or so point nights, I could see Arkansas giving Kentucky a major run and possibly pulling the upset. All right, so I have a question about bubble teams for you. BYU, they got Collinsworth, who who broke the record for his fifth triple-double of the season. That's an NCAA record. Um, David Rose has that team playing pretty good, but they have no signature wins. Are they on the bubble, or are they in, in your opinion right now? They are certainly on the bubble right now. I currently have them right around my number four or number five team out of the tournament just because they had a couple bad losses at the beginning of the year. Part of that is because Tyler Haas was injured. So they are being hurt a little bit by that right now, but their RPI is right around, I would say, 56, 57. So that is going to be a really tough draw for them when you've got other teams on that bubble, like NC State, like Miami, like Purdue, that have much much better wins than BYU. BYU had a couple chances against Gonzaga. They let one slip away in early January on their home floor against Gonzaga, and I think that that could ultimately leave them out of the tournament. They obviously have enough firepower when they do get to the tournament if they're able to. Tyler Haas is a heck of a player, one of the top scorers in the nation. And then you mentioned Collinsworth. He's had so many triple doubles, I do believe, a record in Division One play. So they definitely have the pieces to get there, but the resume just is not showing up for them right now. Yep, and right now they have the number 59 RPI in the nation. Typically, yeah. that's doomsday for a team as the best at-large team that I have in the field is Iowa with an RPI of 55. Ouch. Okay. And, uh, go ahead, Josh. I wanted, I wanted to ask about UCLA and their loss tonight. Does that take them out of the tournament, or are they still on the bubble? That definitely hurts them a little bit. I had them before tonight as a 10 seed. I have since dropped them to an 11. As much as I did not want to do it, Georgia is going to move back to a 10 seed despite the fact that they've forgotten how to play basketball the past week. But <laughs> that's beside the point. But this UCLA team actually has a pretty good resume right now. They entered tonight's game right around number 40 in the RPI, which is huge because that will put you in the field right there. And UCLA has really taken advantage of the fact that they played one of the toughest schedules in the nation. I believe their strength of schedule is right around 16 or so. And they've got three wins against the RPI top 50. Two of them are against number 50 exactly in Stanford, but that Utah win on January 29th just continues to look better and better and better. This Arizona State loss is definitely going to hurt, but Arizona State is actually a good team at home. They beat Oregon State just handily a couple weeks ago, and Arizona State just traditionally does not lose on their home floor. And the Pac-12, even even the bottom teams in that in that um, conference are pretty good. It's not as top-heavy as say, the Big Ten or the SEC. So they're definitely benefiting a little bit from that. I mean, they obviously have losses to Colorado, Arizona State, California, but all these losses have come on the road. They've really taken care of their business at home with, I believe, their only loss at home coming to Gonzaga. Well, we got we got ourselves a big one here at Arizona. Maybe we can find a way to pull that one off and you know, get, get probably back into a 9-10 seed area, you know, because UCLA, I mean, Arizona State is a very tough team, but, I mean, UCLA, they seem to bring their best against the tougher opponents. 
say for that Kentucky game. I mean, that was just over before it started, you know. So I think they'll have a pretty tough shot against um, Arizona tomorrow. But well, speaking of another tough Pac-12 team, how how you feeling about Utah at the moment? You think they could probably be somewhere between a two to three seed or be a serious Final Four contender? I certainly think that they'll be a three seed. I think that a two seed would be a little bit much because the two seeds are really strong this year. When you take a look at Wisconsin, they're obviously not going to be moving too far off that line barring something miraculous happening. Villanova is a team that I'm not crazy about. They nearly lost to the Bucknell Bison on their home floor earlier this year. But when you take a look at the record and how good the Big East is, they're definitely going to be on that two line. And then you take a look at Kansas. They currently have the number one RPI in the nation, and they're the best team in the best conference in the nation in the Big 12, so they're not going to be moving off that two line. And you look at Arizona, and they're just a little bit better than Utah, and they're in the same conference. So I would have to put Utah as a three seed, but this is definitely a team with some firepower that can that can make a big run in March because they've got some really good players on their team. Elon Wright is one of the most underrated players in the nation. He just fills up a box score like none other. You need points, he'll give them to you. Rebounds, he'll give them to you. And he'll add in their assistant steals as a bonus. The guy is really good. And what's really helped this team is the fact that Jordan Loveridge is playing at such an efficient level. Loveridge missed a couple games in the non-conference late, but ever since he's returned, he's really given this team a spark. And they really haven't lost, lost any games with him in, aside from that UCLA game when he went one of eight from the field for just three points and battled felt trouble all night long. So if Loveridge is able to be a big contributor to this team, he will be a nice asset to go along with Elon Wright and also Brandon Taylor. And this is a team that can make the Elite Eight and possibly be a sleeper Final Four team as well. <laughs> well, hey, it's been a long time since the Majerus days that people have been really interested about Utah basketball. And I actually like that freshman they've got over there from Austria, Jacob Hodel. You know, he's played pretty well in spurts. I think if he catches fire, that makes Utah just that much more dangerous also. Oh, certainly. He's been a very good player for this team this year. You take a look at his numbers. They He doesn't play a heck of a lot of minutes per game, but he's averaging right around 9.5 points, 7.5 rebounds. So he's a very efficient player, and he really adds something to that team because he's able to be very consistent, and that's what you need if you're a Utah team that, has all these good players. If you're able to get some consistent, solid numbers from him, it will really help out this team. And I do believe he's shooting right around 67.5% from the field. That is the textbook definition of efficiency. Well, in March, you know you need efficiency. So I was wondering about this, Greg. So far, as the season ended today, what do you have as your final four? Oh, boy. Obviously, Kentucky has to be there in the final four. They just... They're just the number one team in the nation, and I'm basing this off my bracket right now. The second Final Four team I would have is Arizona. I currently have them seated against Virginia, and I'll be honest with you, I'm just not crazy about this Virginia team. You don't know if Justin Anderson will be returning for the ACC tournament or if he'll be returning during the Sweet 16 or later, and Virginia is just barely scraping by against some of these teams like Wake Forest. They played a three-point game against an awful Virginia Tech team, so definitely not on that bandwagon. And then you take a look at the other bracket, Gonzaga and Wisconsin are the top two seeds there. I really like Wisconsin right now. Ever since Trayvon Jackson got hurt, I actually think that Wisconsin is a better team with Bronson Koenig in the starting lineup. He adds that three-point shot that Trayvon Jackson didn't have. Both these players are very efficient with the ball. Wisconsin is always known for not turning it over, and they're doing it once again this year. And like I said, I think that they have the best player in the nation in Frank Kaminsky, so 
I would have Wisconsin going there. And then in the final part, it would be Duke versus Villanova, and also Utah is in there. I'd probably take Utah at this point. I'm really crazy about this Utah team. I think that if Jordan Loveridge can play the way that he needs to, Elon Wright is a great threat. And Duke can be a little bit inconsistent. You just don't know with Justice Winslow. When he had those two down games against Miami and NC State, they lost both those games in ugly fashion. And it looks like Duke is going to be able to pull this game out in overtime against North Carolina. But this one is coming down to the wire, and Duke might suffer a loss here. So you just never know with that one. I really like Utah's chances because, like I like you said, they have the most efficient player in the nation as well, who's averaging 9.5 points and 7.5 rebounds as well. So I think they have the most complete lineup, and they'd be my final Final Four team. Hey, I wanted to ask you. Oh, go ahead, Josh. I wanted to ask him if he had a team like a George Mason or a Butler in the field or going to be in the field. Who would it be and why? Ooh, this is a tough one. I don't think that they're going to make a, make a Final Four run or anything like that. But be on the lookout for the Wofford Carriers. This is a team that actually played Duke really hard earlier this year when the teams played. They're out of the SoCon Conference and. They've made some NCAA tournaments in the past, but this year I really think is their year because they have a player by the name of Carl Cochran. And Carl Cochran is one of the best kept secrets in the nation. The guy is like a, I believe he's six foot listed. I would actually think he's a little bit shorter than that. But despite that that fact, he is making such a big impact for this team. At like six foot, he's averaging 15 points and he leads the team with nearly six rebounds per game. How often do you hear that? You lead the team in points, rebounds, and assists, and when you're a team like that, you really need one guy that can take over a game. Carl Cochran can possibly put on a Steph Curry-esque effort, who, by the way, also is from the so- SoCon Conference back when Davidson was in there back in the day, and, and Wofford is a team that can make that run. Like I said, they gave Duke a good run for their money. They were absolutely blown up by West Virginia, but... You may recall earlier this year, they also went into NC State and won on the road in that game. They gave Stanford a good run for their money, and they won against Iona. So they've clearly played some good competition, and they have that player that can help them make that run. Uh, well, Wofford's come up pretty um, close in their last, their last few tournament appearances. You remember in 2010, the first time they made it, they nearly took out Wisconsin. So if, if they oh, I remember all there, well. Oh, go ahead. I was about to say, I remember all too well watching that game. I thought that Wofford was going to legitimately pull that one out. Yeah, they they gave it a go. So, I mean, if anybody from the SoCon can get it done, I mean, it's Wofford. And the SoCon, I mean, they're always, they've always been one of the tougher mid-majors, back with Davidson and Steph Curry, when he shot them all the way to the Elite Eight. So, I mean, anybody if anybody can catch fire, it could be them, you know. Mm-hmm. And you take a look now, they also have Mercer in the uh, SoCon Conference last year. They transferred over from the A-Sun, so that gives you another dangerous team. East Tennessee State, Murray Murray Bartow is a really good coach for them as well. And you take a look at the Chattanooga Mocs. They haven't been there for a couple years, but they've made some tournament runs themselves and created some major havoc in the tournament. Oh, yeah. 97 when they got all the way to the Sweet 16 with Johnny Taylor. (laughs) That was crazy. Yeah, tell me about it. Any info on this Valparaiso team that we hear about annually in the tournament at least once? <laughs> Valparaiso is a really good team. They're 24-4 and this year. The only reason why they're not nationally ranked and getting national exposure right now 
is because their out-of-conference schedule was just an absolute joke. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you just can't play some of these teams that Valparaiso did and get much respect for it because they played absolutely nobody out-of-conference. I think that their out-of-conference schedule was, like, in the 300 somewhere, and that doesn't <laughs> serve you well. I mean, the best game that they played was at Missouri. They lost that one. They have a nice win over Murray State, and by the way, ever since Murray State lost that game, I don't think they've lost since, but you take a look at who they played. Drake, Maine, Portland, Eastern Kentucky. They had three Division II teams in there, so their out-of-conference schedule was a complete joke, but this is a team that has a really good player that can take over a game as well. His name is Alec Peters. He's a sophomore from Washington, Illinois, and he's averaging right around 17 points and six and a half rebounds per game. And this team, interestingly enough, is coached by by Bryce Drew, and I think we all remember that shot that he hit against Ole Miss in a couple <laughs> tournaments past, one of the greatest moments in NCAA tournament history. So they definitely have the yeah. pedigree to be able to pull an upset. And you take a look at Alex Peters. He's a six foot nine sophomore. He's a guy that actually shoots right around 46% from three, and he attempts like five and a half threes a game as well. So this is a guy that's sort of Frank Kaminsky-esque, maybe a couple inches shorter, but he reminds me of a mid-major version of Frank Kaminsky, and if he can be on his game, Valparaiso has a chance to maybe win a game or two in March. Hey, well, if you've got yourself a poor man's um, Frank Kaminsky in the Horizon League, I mean, damn, you probably won't be defeated by anybody. I tell you what. Hey, and you may see a little bit of history there also, Greg. If Valpo say they went out, you get about a 7-10 matchup with Ole Miss in the first round. Did you say the shot part two possibly? <laughs> I don't think that Ole Miss will quite get that high of a seed because I right now have Valparaiso right around a 12 seed if they made the tournament, and Ole Miss is probably hovering in that 8-9 matchup. But if Ole Miss could win out and Valparaiso would lose a couple games before the – or win out and maybe you'd set up a 7-10 matchup, that would be really awesome. And let's put it this way, who wouldn't want to see the matchup of that, especially with Bryce Drew as a coach? Hey, I wish Marshall Henderson was still around. It'd be one hell of a match then, for real, no doubt. Oh, my gosh. I would need to get the popcorn already for that one. That would be absolutely sweet. Hey, uh, speaking of recruiting, I mean, Oregon State, they've done a very amazing job. I mean, this guy Wayne Tinkle, he's come out of nowhere. Sure, he's had a little help picking up the key, picking up coaches, I mean, players who have, have kids, I mean, coaches, coaches' sons, rather. And he's he's done a pretty good job with his recruiting. How do you think that's going to look next season? I think it's going to look really well. And Oregon State as a team is actually playing a heck of a lot better last year. This is a team that has been right at or below 500 for so many different years. And this year they've really turned it around. They're probably looking at a nice NIT bid this year. And obviously having a player like Gary Payton Jr. helps out your cause. I mean, he had the – he had the bloodlines with his father, Gary Payton, playing there, obviously. But regardless, when you're able to go, so I believe that they're 16-9 and nine right now, I'd like to say, and they're picking up some team. They've lost a couple bad games, but this is a team that really got a big win against Arizona in mid-January. They have a nice win against UCLA as well. So they've got some momentum-building wins there. And like you said, the recruiting class is really good, thanks to those two coaches' sons. And they've got three recruits in the top 150. So you take a look at Oregon State. If they can keep this momentum going and the recruits can actually pan out, they could be the NCAA tournament team next year. Oh, I look forward to it. I got, my cousin's one of those three recruits coming in next year. So I'm hoping oh, awesome. he can come in. 
Yeah, I'm hoping he can come in, make a few plays, you know, and get them over that tournament hump. It's going to be interesting to see, you know. I mean, I, they 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 razzed me a little bit when Oregon State got us this year up in Corvallis, but we got the payback not too long ago up here in L.A. <laughs> and they need to get Victor Robbins off of suspension. He's been suspended for 10-plus games. He got a DUI, which actually extended his 10-game suspension. So if they actually had him in the lineup, they could possibly be staring at an NCAA tournament bid this year even. Yeah, well, I mean, getting 20 wins this season um, and what was supposed to be a rebuilding year, I mean, Tinkle, he's got to garner himself some serious Pac-12 Coach of the Year consideration, although you still got guys like Larry Kostoriak and Shaw Miller is always tough too. But, hey, I'd give, I'd give him a, a vote because, I mean, Oregon State, the NIT, you, you take that anytime you can get it, you know. And how about the coaching job that Dana Altman has done at Oregon? He had three three scholarship players returning from last year, two of which were caught for shoplifting, and I believe that they were reprimanded for that. And despite all that, Oregon is right now sitting there with a chance at an NCAA tournament bid. They're currently 18-8 and eight overall. They have a nice win over UCLA. They're really lacking that signature win, but they're going to have some chances against Utah and Stanford coming up. If Oregon can make the NCAA tournament, give Dana Oldman some credit as well as this is a team that has really outpunted their coverage this year. Uh, well, yeah, I've, I've seen Oregon play some good basketball, although they, I saw them against Arizona also, and they didn't look too hot that night. But Not Dana, many teams look too hot against Arizona. But Dana Oldman, though, hey. he's done a great job everywhere. Even at um, Creighton, you know, he was a decent coach. So my, I, I, I like that guy also. And I think if Oregon gets in, they could probably give – an eight seed will run and probably probably lose to the one seed in the second round. They're getting one of those eight nine games quite possibly. Oh, for sure. I, I completely ask, agree with you. I wanted to ask since I'm uh, live in Oklahoma and obviously Oklahoma State fan, but I wanted to ask you about the other two teams in Oklahoma. You got any opinion, opinions on Tulsa and OU? Uh, Tulsa is right now a team that I have squarely on the bubble right now. I have them out of the NCAA tournament because. You take a look, they currently have a number 48 RPI, which puts you squarely on the bubble, but what the RPI doesn't take into account is games against Division II opponents, and their game against a Division II opponent did not go their way as they played against, I believe it was Southeast Oklahoma State, the Savage Storm, by the way, one of my favorite mascots I've ever heard, and they lost that game, and, that, and the Savage Storm is 500 in their D2 conference, so that obviously is not looking good on the team, but... This is a team that could really use a quality win or two. Their best win is at Temple, and then you take a look after that. A win against UConn typically looks good, but this year UConn is way down and not making the NCAA tournament. Memphis is way down in that American Conference, and if you ask me, I think that their stretch against Cincinnati and SMU to end the season is going to be huge. If they're able to win those two games, they should be in the NCAA tournament. If they split, it's going to be really dicey, and if they lose both of them, just say sayonara. But Oklahoma's a team that's played really well this year as well. They're currently a four-seed in my projected bracket. They were able to provide an advance in the Red River rivalry yesterday against Texas. And they've got some really nice pieces. I really like Buddy Heald. And Isaiah Cousins is a really underrated player that I think needs a little bit more exposure. You throw in there a guy like Ryan Spangler. Tayshawn Thomas has been playing really well for them. He was a transfer from Houston, so... They've got a really well-rounded roster, and despite the losses, a lot of those are because of their really strong strength of schedule. I think that they're going to make some noise come March. 
Mm. The savages. Yeah, Dennis, Dennis Rodman's old school. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, I mean, I had a great time with you tonight. You know, you're welcome to come on anytime. You really gave me some great insight on <laughs> building myself a bracket this season. And thank you very much for coming on, you know. It, it's really it's really great to have a person of your intelligence level come on. It's like I say all the time, you're one of the smartest college guys I know. Thank thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on tonight. All right, no it was, problem. It was a good time. <laughs> and tell the people where they can find you at on Twitter before we let you go there, uh, Rick. You can find me at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter. I post up my bracketology every morning, so you guys can gobble that up and view it every day. All right. You know, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm going to get on you if I see something crazy like that Grand Canyon at one time. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Do it. Yeah, it's all good, my brother. Thank, thanks again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. No problem. We had, ourselves, we had ourselves one of those great conversations tonight. I hope to the callers tonight that G-Unit Greg Peterson helped with your bracket and by using his tips and his intelligence, that you come out on top in March, winning winning your bracket, picking up those big old bucks. So, Josh, how did how did you enjoy the night? Did you have a good time? Oh man, I'm overwhelmed. I, I I never thought I could know more about basketball than uh, college basketball than I do right now. He was an amazing guest to have on. So everyone who was here listening definitely learned some information about this year's tournament and team. So it, it was a good show for sure. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I, I talk to this guy every day. I sit there on Twitter just to see what he didn't put down next. Man, you talk about a college basketball savant, that's Greg Peterson all over, man. He, he's the man, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Hey, uh, uh, any any big sports of, uh, predictions for the weekend coming up from you? <laughs> from the weekend, I'm going to go yeah. with a bold prediction here tonight. Arizona right. State defeated UCLA. It was James Harden night. It was kind of an emotional game for the people, you know. And I'm going to go out on a limb and, to, and say Saturday, my UCLA Bruins will go into the McHale Center in Tucson, Arizona and upset the seventh-ranked Arizona Wildcats. What, what's your bold prediction for this weekend? Man, I, didn't, I, I was trying to get you to answer it only. I didn't really have one planned. Uh, let's see. Um I don't have one. I, the NASCAR race, Matt Kenseth, is my bold prediction for the for the weekend. <laughs> so before we go here, Josh, tell the people where they can find you at in Twitter land. Oh man, it's uh, Josh and underscore me at on Twitter is where they can find me. At. Hey, hook up your boy, Josh. He's a Patriot fan. I'm sure there's a few of you out there. I don't know why there is, but I'm sure there's a few of you. And, Josh, he's a pretty smart guy. He'll hook you up with all the Patriot news and things like that. And, as <laughs> you know, you can find me at the Sports Butler at, at, at Twitter, or you can find me at Yahoo. Either way, just give, give me a line. You can find me. I'm, I'm willing to talk about everything. And let's see here. One more important thing. I see here that Ty Lawson may be getting ready to be traded. That's another interesting situation then. That's, that yeah, that'll be a good. Uh, where is he headed? I didn't see. Haven't seen it yet. Uh, I haven't seen anywhere that he may be headed. I just read no here on the on the bottom score. I mean, I think a team like Indiana could possibly use him though. 
you know, get, yeah. get a young player to pair up with um, Paul George when he returns. And Indiana, I mean, they're not that far off of the playoff race. You get Paul George back along with, with a guy like Ty Lawson, I mean, you're not that far off. You could probably get in and give a one seed or run or something like that. So it was, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing as far as the season goes by. And don't don't miss it. Don't miss the show next week. We got ourselves a good one. We'll be talking about the NFL scouting combine. We've got Jameis Winston. Will he throw or won't he throw? We hear Marcus Mariota saying that he will throw. We'll find out shortly. We'll and I really look forward to seeing all these things here. So for myself, the sports butler Raider Rome and Josh, good night America. God bless the Raider Nation. Take care of God bless the Patriots. I won't pretend he didn't say that, but yeah. Oh, man. Peace. All right, peace. We love you all. Good night, America. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.